0: Hey, nerds, really cool announcement before we get started. As you heard last week, we had an anonymous donor contact us, and they are donating $500 to our local Legend Comics and Coffee comic book store to help them through this COVID-19 crap that we're all suffering through. They have also offered to match your donations to your local comic book store, be it Legend or wherever you are. All you need to do is send us a PayPal receipt that shows you made the donation so we can check that the comic shop is real, and they will match another $500. They're doing this all for the month of May. So give until it hurts, and let's save our local comic book shops you can send your receipts to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject, LCS Donation. This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to twoheadednerd.com and click Donate or visit patreon.com backslash twoheadednerd to become a supporter today. ha broadcasting from the quarantine ziggurat in omaha deep below the metro area it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 574 new comics are almost back and we're uh we're getting a little low on themes here so it's probably good <laughs> we're gonna talk about that a little later
1: <laughs> folks it's the 200 nerd comic book podcast and my name is Matt Baugh. and i am the internet's joe patrick if i'm not mistaken if this week is 574, that me—that mean, means next week is a landmark episode. A milestone, you might say.
0: I mean, we've never done stuff like that before. I don't know why we would start calling it that. Mm-hmm. Now.
1: Yeah, you're right. Uh, you're right. You're right. This week... I make the landmarks around here, mister, and you bet your ass it is, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this week, talking animals have overtaken the ziggurat, so we're reviewing eight anthropomorphic comics... From our cosmic long box.
0: That's a big long word for funny talking furry animals, basically.
1: After that, it's
0: up to the Te Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll tell you about what we're reading next week. And finally, Stargirl made a premiere on the DC app and the CW. I should say on the CW and its redheaded stepchild, the DC app. So it's time for another nerd TV segment. <laughs> but before no, it came we start,
1: first on the DC app. Before
0: we start celebrating the long and storied career of Joel McHale, let's grab our cosmically charged stabs and point them at this week's nerd news. I'm grabbing mine as hard as I can. Sometimes you just gotta grab it, (laughs) squeeze it, you know? (laughs) Wow.
1: Marvel is reuniting characters with creative teams responsible for some of their beloved runs. First up, Mark Wade. And artist Neil Adams's Fantastic Four, Antithesis, focuses on a cosmic menace with ties to Galactus. The series is Adams's first full-length Fantastic Four story. According to Wade, quote, The story begins with the FF struggling to prevent an extinction event on Earth and just goes more cosmic from there. We all know of Galactus, dot, 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 but until now, no one has met his antithesis.
0: Okay, so let's talk about this for a
1: second. Okay. I'm not going
0: to bag on Neil Adams. I'm not going to do it. The man. He's not writing
1: it, so I'm fine. He's a legend. Yeah.
0: Do you still like his art?
1: I mean, I understand why people liked his art in the day. I I understand why it was groundbreaking in the day. I'm not. I loved it. I still love his old stuff. I'm I don't get saying, all worked up about a new comic book project drawn by Neil Adams, if that's what no, you're No, I do not. And was there a time where Neil Adams worked on Fantastic Four? Well, as I said, this is Adams's first full length Fantastic Four
0: story. Right. So, what's with the beloved creative team? Mark responsible Wade. For some of their Mark runs? Wade. I Mark know, but the next Wade. one we're going to talk about is Peter David and Dale Keown, who are reuniting. With artist German Peralta in August for Maestro, a new series exploring the origins of the villain who debuted in David's Hulk, Future Imperfect, in 1992. The series of unspecified length is going to explore the story of how Bruce Banner, slash Hulk, spoiler alert, went from the version of the character most (laughs) folks know to the hyper-evolved villainous Maestro. Wait a minute, wait wait a minute, wait a
1: minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Bruce Banner is the Hulk? (laughs) I didn't mean to ruin that for you, buddy. (laughs) Now here's my
0: point. Peter, David, Dale Keown, both these guys worked on the Hulk. Makes sense. Yes. Okay.
1: But Matt, if you go back, if you actually listened to what I said at the beginning, I did not say creative teams. I said creators. Oh, I did say creative teams. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what I meant was creators. That's what so confused like, me. Mark, That's, I was Mark like, Wade had a beloved run on Fantastic Four. It's totally fun that he's agree. coming back to write Fantastic Four. Who Peter David that? writing Hulk, uh, Mike Waringo drew That's right, it. and he's um,
0: R.I.P. So
1: R.I.P. in peace, Mike Waringo. Yeah, so I get um, why they can't get him, but Neil Adams, I don't know, man. It's, it's fine. It's I, I just, like, for me, Mark Wade writing the FF is fun and cool. I'm into it. it. Sure is. The only uh, thing that could bum me out is, you know... <laughs> An artist I don't it's particularly be love. <laughs> fine, uh, and I'm totally on board anytime Peter David wants to write the Hulk. Totally, I'm completely down with that. I'm not um, sure how much Dale Keown is going to be involved, considering that they also announced a second artist.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, feeling Keown might be on covers or something like that. Or maybe it's the
1: sort of thing where they do like present day flashback sort of thing. I don't know.
0: Maybe he he doesn't do a lot of work anymore. And It's too bad because I legit love that dude. He's got a uh, he style. Is, it is pretty ridiculous. I love it. He is totally notoriously slow. So Yeah. I think that's the problem. Both <laughs> series
1: are set to launch in August. The lengths of both books w- were not announced. So we don't know if they're minis. They're I mean yeah, I'm sure that, that they're min- I'm sure that they're minis. We just don't know how long they are. Got to be, right? Yeah. But you know, it's fun. It's like, you know what? We're we're in this time. We're in this time. Marvel's got to like bring some content back. We've we've had this like 2 month lull. Right. Like Get some get some classic beloved old guys in there to do some stuff. I'm I'm on board for it. Sure. I mean it'd be cooler if they
0: just did it in the pages of the regular series to kick sales back up, but we got to flood
1: the market, I get it. I don't think it's I don't think something like that would kick the sales back up. I don't think I don't think I don't think doing a maestro story by Peter David and Dale Keown and a third guy In the pages of the Immortal Hulk, it's going to bump the sales of the Immortal Hulk. (laughs) No, that's
0: probably true. (laughs) Might bump the sales of Fantastic Four, though. Well, yeah, you know, (laughs)
1: that's a whole different kettle of fish from
0: the Mandalorian desk. Who is Timothy Oliphant playing? There's been some madness online. Actor Timothy Oliphant recently reported joining the cast of Mandalorian and then spotted on the set wearing. Boba Fett's armor but here's the thing he's not Boba Fett he's probably not Boba Fett he's probably not Boba Fett
1: well because yeah go ahead actor
0: Tamira Morrison who portrayed Boba Fett's father slash progenitor slash older clone Clone, Django Fett clone daddy yeah, clone daddy in, in Star Wars Attack of the Clones, also voiced Boba Fett in the most recent remastered edition of the original Star Wars trilogy. Because the old voice, we all, that needed to go, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, It's terrible. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I thought he's supposed to be a clone. Oh, okay, I'm glad they fixed his voice. He is reportedly signed on to reprise the role of Fett in live action, though- What what do they call this? Backslash film? Slash Film. It's called Slash Film. Slash Film. Okay. Slash Film reports it's Oliphant who's going to be wearing the Mandalorian armor. Now, you're saying, what is going on here? This is bonkers. Dig on this. Chuck Wendig's aftermath Star Wars novels. They're set in a time period, contemporary... To the Mandalorian. This is also Chuck Wendig, who's not allowed to write Marvel Comics Star yes, Wars. Yes, he anymore, got fired
1: right? from Marvel Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. And because because his, book- twi- his Twitter account is too full of cuss words. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the guy's Star Wars books are legit good. I've read a couple and I liked his Star Wars comics too. So, too bad there. But I bet he's making a little more money doing this. Regardless, he established this Cobb Vamp character who's a sheriff in the wilds of Tatooine who purchased. Boba Fett's armor from Scrappers, who retrieved it from the wreckage of Jabba's sail barge, following, and I want you to pay attention here, Boba Fett nerds, following Fett's death in the Sarlacc pit. Apparent death. Okay, so he crawled out naked
1: and ran around nude? Why'd he take his armor off? Maybe it was damaged. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Maybe he had to ditch it. Look, man, we don't know. It is well established in, in the old canon which may or may not count which obviously is going to count if tamura morrison is going to be boba fett in the mandalorian uh or in in a flashback maybe it's not no no we shall see no you have to keep reading here because it's established in the in that canon that boba fett survives he crawls his way out of the belly of the sarlacc i still don't i don't accept this i want to see it or it didn't happen.
0: Why don't and you? Why accept, did he? Like why don't why you? Why did he crawl it? out naked? How does another guy end up with
1: his armor? He crawls out butt naked. That's Matt, what you. <laughs> he really. got shot in the back by a. Uh-huh. No, he got. He didn't even get shot. He got smacked in the back. Yeah, with a stick in. by a blind Han Solo and fell into to the, the starlac.
0: Digested for like five thousand years. thousand years. Yeah, which you're probably going to, you know, like die of hunger no, and thirst. No, the then. Sarlacc, the Sarlacc <laughs> keeps
1: you alive so that it can digest you slowly. That's how it yeah. works. Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot. It secretes. Regardless. it secretes its goo into you and keeps you alive, like on life support. Gross.
0: Regardless, very little has been revealed about Vance's backstory. All we do know is that he was once a slave, as evidenced by a big star shaped scar that's carved into his back, which signifies ownership. With the fall of the gangster job of the hut, there's apparently a big power vacuum that has consumed Tatooine, and it's drawing all sorts of crime syndicates to take over the unruled landscape. Cobb, Timothy Oliphant, has committed his life in the service of protecting Freetown and keeping criminal elements like the Red Key Raiders away from Tatooine. He even struck a deal with the Tuscan Raiders. A lot of Raiders are running around, by so the way. So many. To help protect the township. So the speculation is... Oliphant could be playing Vanth, but we don't know any official details of many of the actors' roles for the Mandalorian season two yet. All we know, this fall, Disney Plus, it's a secret until then.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're not gonna have two different Boba Fetts. We're not gonna have like Tamura Morrison playing. Younger Boba Fett in a flashback I hope he shows up naked He's
0: like that's mine And he's just like dick naked And then there's <laughs> present day Boba Fett Timothy
1: Oliphant
0: <laughs> No, but I mean uh, if they want to do something like Look, if they want to do something like, yeah, Boba Fett's dead, and we get to see some flashback Look, of him or something. Maybe he didn't and we craw- see-
1: Listen, you're you're so obsessed about the idea that he that he left the Sarlacc naked of his own free will. Maybe no, no, no. I'm Sarlacc- obsessed with the fact
0: that he's dead because he sucks at his job. Okay? Maybe the I'm Sarlacc. It. Maybe the Come Sarlacc
1: pit shelled him like a like a pistachio.
0: No, and spit Sarlacc out pit the armor, digested him, and pooped out the armor. The scrappers F- pulled the armor nope. out of the poop. All right, and t- fired the <laughs> elephant sprays it off
1: (laughs) (laughs) i want you to tell me where like and he's like i'm scary
0: i need to be scary and a sheriff's not going to do it so i'll dress up like boba fett and pretend i'm boba fett protecting the area well he might not be wearing the helmet he
1: might just be wearing the armor parts you know the chest
0: plate and shit well yeah the helmet probably smells like poop so
1: yeah so i want you to like (laughs) i want you to imagine a top-down view of a sarlacc pit it's what like a 30 a 30 foot diameter hole right yes with a mouth Yeah, and
0: and its butt probably curls around. Where's the butt? It comes out in the sand a little ways away, and there's like a butthole, and it poops out all the stuff that doesn't eat. Where's George Lucas when we need him? (laughs) Would you want to poop straight into the sand? I certainly wouldn't. That sounds uncomfortable.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This this sounds like like space justified to me, and I'm one thousand percent on board for it. (laughs) Yeah, no, and
0: like I said, I like the idea of he realizes like, look, a cop is not gonna frighten these guys away but if i put on this armor i will be scary i i can pretend to be this person and then maybe yeah boba fett does come looking for him or something along those lines we'll see
1: into it i can't wait all right from the uh well we did the mandalorian desk not the star wars desk
0: from the star trek
1: desk regardless this is the star trek desk yeah no wars here
0: no, this one's way slicker, too. It's super nice. That's right. It's not It's not all dirty and dusty like the Star Wars desk. <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> no san, sand. It gets everywhere. I hate it. <laughs> CBS All Access has announced Strange New Worlds, its latest Star Trek TV show, which will focus on Captain Pike, Spock, and the pre-Kirk Enterprise. Totally in. You don't have to tell yeah, me anything God else. God damn it. In. Hell yes. <laughs> uh, Anson Mount. And Ethan Peck will reprise their roles as Pike and Spock from Star Trek Discovery. They'll be joined by uh, by Rebecca Romaine as number one, first officer of the Enterprise. Strange New Worlds is set a full decade prior to the events of the original Star Trek. They were the best part of Star Trek Discovery season two. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. No question. No question. No loved him when when anson pike when anson mount uh was done on the show i was like i need more of him i need more of him right now <laughs> yeah uh, i need more no. of that character they were fantastic and pike like i like that first captain i can't
0: remember his name now uh off the top of my head uh
1: yeah it was jeremy irons right the guy, uh, no not jeremy, wasn't irons. jeremy irons jason no. sands no
0: yeah the guy with the bad eyes he had like the robot eyes not jason
1: sands what was his name
0: i can't remember jason Irons but the character, the actual character's name, he was cool and I liked him because he was kind of flawed. But he was kind of but, a bad guy, right? I mean, he wasn't such a bad guy, but he made decisions sort of with a different kind of moral compass. You know what I mean? For the, he was, betterment. the di- he
1: was the discovery captain.
0: Yes. And he was doing things that he felt were right and they were kind of questionable and he was butting heads with Michael and stuff like that. Yeah. But when Pike shows up. All cocky, uh, confident,
1: he's so good. like just like old school Star Trek Commander, like fuck I, yeah. Like I <laughs> this could, guy rules. <laughs> I could not believe that it was the same guy that played Black Bolt on the Inhumans. It took me months to realize it was the same dude. Because he is so good. Are yes, you serious? Anson Mount played Black Bolt on the uh, ABC Inhumans show. Really? Yes. And I mean, to his credit, he didn't say anything. It totally was him. I can't, I can't judge his acting cause he didn't say anything. No, but it, he's so good as Pike. He's so good. He really and, is. And he's,
0: he's got that good looking cocky thing going on, but he's not like a jackass, like Kirk. Right. He's honestly a little better at his he's job. He's like honorable. More, right. Yeah. Yeah. A um, little more by the rules. And if it's not going to be by the rules, do me a favor and don't tell me, you know, <laughs> uh,
1: in the video that accompanied the uh, announcement, Pike uh, I keep calling him Pike, uh, Anson Mount kept, uh, talked about how it's going to feel a lot more like traditional Star Trek with like a sense of exploration cool. and hope the, and optimism. It's the perfect place to do that. Perfect yeah. place to do it. I am thrilled. I am, I am so happy with what CBS All Access has been doing with Star Trek.
0: I think they need to quit fucking around and just call it the Star Trek app. I mean, whatever, CBS, we get it. You have other shows on there too. No one cares. (laughs) Nobody cares.
1: I can tell you uh, the only thing that it's been used for in our house is Star Trek and old episodes of Survivor (laughs) because my wife loves Survivor. Fair enough. But yeah, I'm thrilled. Uh, No announcement, uh, no premiere date has been announced yet, but it can't come soon enough. Definitely. Thrilled. Hit it. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while ignoring the internet for our Justified rewatch binge. Let me tell you, I'm up to season three. That shit holds up. Oh man. Yeah, I rewatched it probably last summer. I think I rewatched it. It,
0: That show is unstoppably good, and even the worst season of Justified is better than 99% of television out there. (laughs)
1: Yes, (laughs) it really is. Then and now. So hit us up on the THN forum's big news section or any of our social media outlets and talk to us about these stories or anything you think we missed. Yeah, yeah, we heard about Ruby Rose. We'll talk about it on on, uh, Answer of the Week. Don't worry about it.
0: It is review time. The Ziggurat. And this week, we dipped into our cosmic long box to review eight comics featuring talking animals. I'll admit, I thought this was going to be a lot more fun... No! ...than it actually was. It was <laughs> not fun! But before we do, we better get some cocktails in our hands. Let's turn it over to the official DHN bartender, Mr. Justin Fletcher.
2: All right, nerds. I guess this week we're talking about talking animals in comics. So um, I've got two cocktails today just because I want to talk about two different characters um one I guess is a throwaway cocktail essentially because it's just a poor man's version of a screwdriver so let's just go ahead and knock that one out this is called a michelangelo obviously because the the drink is going to end up orange by the time you're done so you're going to take two ounces of, of vodka um probably some flavored vodka honestly even though I hate that shit would be really great in this purpose some like vanilla or uh Orange flavored, I don't know, some kind of a, a nice, uh, a nice sweeter, uh, sweeter styled vodka, and then you're just going to take orange Fanta, <laughs> and just top that off in about a pint glass with some ice and maybe a little bit of whipped cream on top if you've got some Dunzos, the Michelangelo. But for the real cocktail that we're going to talk about today, we're going to we're going to talk about one of my favorite talking animal villains and that would be Gorilla Grodd. Um, I played a lot of DC Universe for a time, um, and that's a horrible game, and if you know what I'm talking about, you know because you're just doing the same thing over and over again with higher levels, whatever. Um, I, I quickly, during that game, learned to love Gorilla Grodd. I, I didn't even know who the fuck that was, but just through this game, I was like a, a giant silverback gorilla that can talk and control minds. Um, I'm all in. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna do a, a, a cocktail called the monkey gland uh, in, in paying homage to the wonderful super genius Gorilla Grodd. So uh, a monkey gland is essentially gonna be an ounce and a half of gin. Um, you're gonna use an ounce and a half of orange juice. Um, but I would probably, if you can, use use don't just use regular oranges. Maybe um, use Caracaras or. Um, tangerines, something like that, just uh, something that has a little bit of tartness to it so it's just not straight sweet orange juice anyways, an ounce and a half of gin an ounce and a half of orange juice like I said, you're going to use a quarter ounce of grenadine um, just for a little bit of tart and sweet Um, and then you're going to use two drops of absinthe Um, there's a couple ways you can do absinthe actually Um, you could make this drink like I already said and throw it on ice, shake it up Um, And then right before you go to pour it in the glass, you could use a mister to mist and spray absinthe into the glass to coat the entire glass. Or you could just drop, you know, a little bit of absinthe into the glass as well, and then just kind of stir it around. Mainly what you want is you want to be able to smell it. You're not going for a a ton of flavor from the absinthe, but also when it comes to absinthe, a little bit goes a long way. So in a drink like that, four drops of absinthe, you are going to taste it just a little bit, and that's what what you want. so yeah four drops of absinthe um, pour that all that stuff into a coop up um, maybe take a lemon um, i think lemon's really good lemon peel express over the top good to go so there you go there's a really slutty easy michelangelo or there's a little more complex monkey gland enjoy nerds thank you justin
0: and joe excelsior I'll get this traveling zoo on the road. <laughs> I'm going to start with Albedo Anthropomorphics, number two, from 1984. Albedo was credited as one of the very first furry or anthropomorphic comics to <sighs> elevate talking animal comics to serious storytelling, okay? This was not your fun, jokey comic. Now, it was an anthology, and there was some shorter fun stuff that was in there but it mainly centered around irma Felina, which is the main story it's a sci-fi military story that follows a female fox pilot named irma as she and the edf forces fight against the lapine empire they're evil rabbits basically creator steve galachi created an amazing world complete with his own alphabet for irma and his pencil work is really good The real star of this comic, though, is the first appearance of Stan Sakai's Yusagi Yojimbo. And honestly, from day one, Sakai was a master storyteller. I have read this before, and I forgot how good his very first Yusagi story is. His art is just amazing in this tale of Yusagi meeting a kind old woman who takes him in with the intention of feeding him to her goblin husband because she's cursed. (laughs) it's just wonderful and you can see like Sakai already working at the level that he's famous for it's just great samurai rabbit stuff albedo um, is just peak talking animal geekdom from the 80s where these nerds let it all hang out it is the nerdiest shit in the world and i really admire them for self-publishing at the time they are basically credited as giving influence to eastman and Laird, who created teenage mutant ninja turtles who we'll talk about in just a little bit this is bizarre it is a thing of its time but i admire it for what it is i'm giving it a bite.
1: yeah i mean like the mcelroy brothers say i don't want to yuck anybody's yum <laughs> <laughs> but I really do not understand the appeal of the sort of talking animal stuff that is present elsewhere in this comic. Oh, sure. Um, the Usagi stuff is different to me for some reason. I don't know why. Um, maybe because of the genre or maybe because it's like so folk, like the fact that they're animals has nothing to do with anything. They just right. are. um, and like, there's no weird animal puns. You know, it's uh, we got plenty of those coming up. Oh, don't worry. God. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, this 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 comic would be worth reading just for the Usagi story, and you can tell that he's kind of like massaging his way into the uh, final design of the character. Yeah, uh, and it's it's so fun to see. I I really loved reading it. I'm giving it a buy it as well, uh, even though I don't really have much interest in anything else that they did in the comic. <laughs> uh but yeah, the the, the, the Stan Sakai stuff, it's brilliant. Absolutely worth reading from even if you're just interested in it from like a historical perspective. There's some really good back matter, too, by Steve
0: Galachi, the creator, where he's just basically like, look, I want to do this comic. People want me to do it different ways. People told me it had to be silly. It had to be funny like other talking animal comics. I was like, fuck you. I'm making my own comic book.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, credit. And he did it. Credit where it's due. Yeah, absolutely. Like up until yeah. like funny animal comics were just that. They were. Yeah. Funny animal comics, whether they were funny or not. <laughs> Speaking well, of unfunny animal comics, yeah, they called themselves funny. We'll say right. that. <laughs> uh, my first review is of Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew, number one from DC Comics, Ugh. 1982. <laughs> uh, it should also be noted that we all that we read the 16-page pre, uh, prelude chapter that was found in New Teen Titans number 16. Uh, that's something DC did back in the day. They would do like a intro chapter in another comic and then they would at the end of it they would say no read number one uh they did the same thing for the new teen titans in dc comics presents number 26 the only difference is the new teen titans went on to be a hit
0: and this was fucking garbage yeah (laughs) right
1: uh now I i yeah uh i have always loved captain carrot but that was before i actually sat down and read it Legendary creators Roy Thomas, Jerry Conway, and Ross Andrew are involved with these initial stories, so how could they have gone so terribly wrong? I'll tell you how. They don't write funny stories. That's not Roy Thomas's (laughs) jam, (laughs) you know? It's like, we may as well ask him to pole vault while we're at it. I bet he can't do that either. (laughs) Uh, The story begins with Superman investigating the devolving of a number of Metropolis citizens, which eventually leads him to an alternate earth uh full of quote unquote funny animals. Of course it does. Some of whom <laughs> become superheroes. Credit where it's due right off the bat, the art by Andrew who did the Superman sequences and Scott Shaw exclamation point who drew everything else. That's that's literally his name. Yeah. Uh it's pretty great as well. Uh, also there is a fun nod to the formation of the Justice League of America towards the end which I thought was kind of charming. Uh, Everything else in this comic is a complete slog. The the script is dreadfully unfunny, and the animal puns are out of control. There There are puns. There are animal puns for things that don't need puns. Like, I understand proper names, city names, character names, whatever. Sure, animal pun. Right. Normal English words. Don't need animal puns. (laughs) The writers make a joke of the repetitious elements, but that does not make them any less boring after the second time it happens, let alone the sixth time it happens. Yeah. It took me no joke about four tries over just as many days to get through this comic book. And by the time I was done, I was angry that I'd done it. Captain Carrot. I can't lie. It's a beloved concept that somehow survived despite its awful beginnings. I'm giving the first issue a leave it.
0: Yeah, I hated this.
1: I, I, the, the same way
0: that we look back at characters. Like Luke Cage in the pages of Hero for Hire, who was being written by uh, two white guys who were like, I don't know, I bet black people on the street talk like this, right? Sure, right. Yeah. This is written by two white guys that have never met a child in their life, let alone have any clue what (laughs) kids think is funny. You know, there is no one laughed
1: at this. No
0: one ever laughed at this. My favorite (laughs)
1: takeaway of all of the quote unquote funny comics we read this week were all of the completely misguided attempts at topical humor that were yeah. decades out of date. Like I, I originally was going to read power pachyderms, uh, but I switched it up. And I think that in power pachyderms, there's a character in the background that's wearing a, uh, a Nixon Mondale t-shirt. <laughs> like Hilarious. what the
0: hell? <laughs> oh my God. I can't <laughs> stop laughing. Yeah. it's God.
1: Ugh. That book came out in the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, please rescue us from this abyss. My next review is of Fish Police,
0: number one, from Fish Rap, 1984. You're going to notice that all my comics are sort of from this window of 1984 to like 1986. That was kind of the golden age of these independent and, you know, anthropomorphic comics. There was an independent boom at the time. Yep. Huge. Yeah. Fish Police is the creation of cartoonist Steve Moncuse with help on inks by his friend, Sam Keith. Oh, no shit. Yeah, here's some Fish Police trivia. Sam Keith's first published work was inking Fish Police and his first penciling was a next issue pinup page. Fun. The, the story follows Detective Gill, a hard-nosed or perhaps finned cop who may have used to be human. They kind of hint at
1: it. Okay, <laughs> but they're some, underwater though.
0: Right. He used okay. to be human. I think he's I have been a question about this later. Go on, go on. There are some hints in the issue that Gil used to be a human cop, and his name isn't even close to the end of the fish puns here. In true crime noir fashion, a knockout dame named Angel Fish shows up looking for Detective Gil's help in getting her uncle out from the nefarious fish mafia, a.k.a. Squid. There's even a foul-mouthed fish police chief that smokes cigars underwater. <laughs> Sure. They also go to bars and have drinks underwater. So they really sit, in, they sit in chairs and walk upstairs. Yeah. This was way pre-internet, and they are naming a lot of popular aquarium fish in this. So Mike was either an aquarium nerd, which I can appreciate, or he was a very devoted <laughs> <It's> researcher. Like, <laughs> Angelfish
1: calamari.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're like, oh, that neon tetra was a real son of a bitch. You know? <laughs> 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 Not all the humor ages well, but there is no doubt. Moncute is a very talented illustrator. His line is very thin and very light. He almost draws like he's drafting his panels like an architect. Fish Police is brave, if nothing else, and it shows some real talent at times. They even got a short lived cartoon. This was the first prime time cartoon with the voices of Ed Asner, Buddy Hackett and John Ritter as Inspector Gill with music by Oscar award winner James Horner. All right. I think the (laughs) key word here is short lived. (laughs) Yeah, it lasted three episodes before it got canceled. Fish Police seems to be that title that like almost was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but didn't quite make it. I'm giving it a buy it because this dude set out with a ridiculous premise and decided, you know what? I'm going to take it fairly <laughs> seriously, inject some humor and fish police lasted quite a while and had a really big indie following.
1: Give it a buy it. Yeah. Uh, this was a lot of fun, uh, but like, like you said, speaking of, you know, the kind of attitude about it and the creators uh, feelings about it. Uh, my favorite, well, one of my favorite things about this issue was the letters page, quote unquote, at the back, which was just a, a letter from one creator to the other and back again. Yeah. They were like <laughs> writing each other. Yeah. And the first letter was like, uh, dear Steve, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing?
0: <laughs> yeah. And then everyone's like, Paul, don't forget the beer.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. This was fun. Uh, the art is great. Years ago, we had an Ask Nerd question about life under the sea in Atlantis in Aquaman. Right. Right. Like, do they uh, sleep in beds? Why, why do they, like, do they sleep in beds? What's right. the deal? Why and, are they fucking stairs? <laughs> and, right. And I, my first, like, at first I didn't think about it because I thought, okay, they're just anthropomorphic fish in the, in the world that you and I would recognize. Right. But then later on, there's a panel where it's very clearly established that they are underwater. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, well what the what the hell was he complaining
0: about the stairs for? Well and Gil is saying, like, why the hell are there stairs underwater? <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> um <laughs> Like they're poking fun. It's there's some fourth wall breaking, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There's some silly stuff that I thought was uh, a it, it was a lot uh, the humor was a lot better uh than anything I'd read up till this point. This was clever at least. Yes, it was clever. Um yeah. I can see why fish police kind of caught on for a while, even though it's kind of forgotten today. I'm giving it a buy it as well. Speaking of TMNT. Yeah. Speaking of things that got TMNT big. My next review is of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Number one from Mirage Studios. Uh, Pardon me. I accidentally closed my script. I don't know what happened. Uh, This is from Mirage Studios. 1984. A lot has been said about the first appearance of the TMNT, but I have never actually read it all the way through before today. After reading it, though, it's clear why it became the phenomenon that it is now, though I'm not sure it could have happened during any other era in comics history. Uh, Like I said during the last review, there was an independent boom in the early to mid 80s, uh, which was followed by a bust. Right. But the TMNT
0: survived well they made a very distinct decision and like if you watch that toys that made us about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles they yeah. both basically said yeah let's sell out fuck it we'll make oh, it sure kids. yeah yeah no we'll make it for kids. I, and, and that's <laughs> that's my favorite episode of that show <laughs> yeah and the like all the other ones that that disappeared were like no we're not selling out we're sticking by our we're sticking by our creation yeah. it's ours and they were like
1: how much are you gonna pay us? Like, fuck yeah, yeah, they right. can eat pizza and break dance. I'm into that. <laughs> yeah, like Eastman and Laird, I I don't believe Eastman and Laird have any stake in the property anymore at all, other than like IDW has hired Kevin Eastman to work on it. They still um, own something, yeah. I, I they, mean, I they think, I'm sure that they, they get royalties or some sort of thing. Yeah. But I don't think they have a controlling stake. Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird's story is a love letter to Comics Past, especially Frank Miller's Daredevil. Uh, it's very obvious that like, the origin of the TMNT is directly tied in their minds to the origin of Matt Murdock becoming Daredevil. Yeah, it's the same goo. Yeah, it's the same goo. The story is clear and concise. It wraps up in a single issue, and it kind of seemed like the duo didn't expect to be able to tell further tales about the turtles beyond this one. Uh, no spoilers, but it comes to a pretty definitive ending. Oh, they didn't think they would at all. They right. thought
0: this was it. And then they were just like, we'll put a comic out and see what happens. And it happened to sell. And they were like, yeah, oh, yeah. Exactly. okay, now we
1: got to write more. <laughs> uh, Eastman's art is, and storytelling is excellent, uh, except for one thing, his inking gives the exact same weight to everything in any given panel. Yeah. So it can sometimes be a little bit difficult to tell what's going on on the page, but his style is really fun and nice to look at. It's just that, you know, he needed, he needed to work on his line weights at the time. TMNT number one, it's an excellent introduction to a cultural icon. I'm giving it a huge buy it. This was totally fun to read. Oh yeah. This was one of my favorite
0: comic books, period. I, I like, I remember I made my dad drive me to star realm at a very young age and spent a lot of money on like a third printing. Of number right. one or something. Because you can't find first printings. So you're printing like 300 of them. Yeah, yeah, they're like very rare. Something stupid. And trivia here, if you look in the version we read, which is like a con reprint or whatever, you can see Kevin Eastman wearing an albedo t-shirt.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of talk about like the, pro- the process of the making of the comic, the albedo yeah. thing, yeah. These um, guys
0: were nerds and they yeah. loved anthropomorphic shit, but they wanted it to be serious. And... Yeah, this this is a fantastic introduction. People who don't who only know the turtles from the cartoons and stuff will be a little shaken, like, really? That's kind of what they used to be like? Cause this is serious. This oh yeah, they dead, murdered, they murder lots serious. of guys. There is no joking. They are ninjas, straight up yep. it's assassins, you know, doing their yeah, work yeah, and yeah. disappear. And it's just so funny to see they made their success because they did kitty everything up and put him in a fucking van that shoots pizza and shit. <laughs> you know? I still love but it.
1: They made a bunch of money. So yeah, they did. there you go. God bless them. Uh, yeah, this was, it's so fun. It's so fun. And you know, there are some things when, when you go back and revisit something, you know, historic, sometimes you read a captain carrot and you're like, why, <laughs> Right. <laughs> why did people care about this? Why did, why did it last 20 issues and have multiple revivals? Yeah. Why did Grant Morrison put him in Multiversity? <laughs> and then you I mean, I don't get what like Grant
0: Morrison did. He's a fucking weirdo. Sure. Okay.
1: <laughs> like, I understand that. <laughs> or, or maybe it was Final Crisis. I don't remember. Captain Carrot shows up in something Grant Morrison I think wrote. It was Final Crisis. Yeah. yeah. And then you read TMNT number one, you're like, oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Or Albedo number two, you're like, oh, I see. Right.
0: I see. It seems like whenever the big two try to go at it, we get comic books like Rocket Raccoon number one from <laughs> Marvel 1985. Now, I own this series. I've not read it in years, and I honestly don't know that I did read it. The only reason I bought it is because Mike Magnola is the artist here, and it yeah. is very early Magnola, but you can still very much see that Magnola style. It's way more detailed, way yeah. more detailed here. Like it looks to me like he was sort of watching Art Adams work and going, I want to draw like
1: that. well, and I think he probably has an inker, right? I, I didn't, I he didn't pay too, does, mu- yeah. too much attention to the credits, but rocket creator, Bill Mantlo and Keith Giffen write a completely
0: bizarre, I'll put this in quotes, comedic script, <laughs> complete with alien killer clowns, talking animals, an evil space rabbit force, and even keystone cops in an old timey car. A trade war is a brewing between the last two interstellar toy manufacturers, and Rocket is getting called in to investigate. Now, here's the thing: they don't make toys, they make robots, and they make robots to keep the lunatics that worship some type of weird lunatic Bible on Rocket's planet. The busy. other world bible. Yes. Right. And these robots keep lunatics busy. And <sighs> therein lies the plot this rocket is considerably more jovial than the rocket we know and love today he's still kind of a jerk but nowhere near what we have in the mcu he's more of like a what if robin hood had a little more of an attitude
1: now i want to say like mcu yes but i think that the rocket we know that influenced the mcu came from dan Abnett and andy lanning Definitely. In Guardians yeah, of the Galaxy. Without
0: a doubt. He, w- he would become a different character right. later on. The original Rocket Raccoon, which Bill Mantlock- He was came like a with, pirate, he almost. Was sort of like a yeah space pirate kind of thing. But he was also invented because of the Beatles song, Rocky Raccoon. And they lifted a bunch of stuff from the song and plugged it straight into his origin. Well,
1: I did not know that. <laughs>
0: and it's dumb. <laughs> there, there's also a character here named Blackjack- O'Hare, who yes. is an evil rabbit, I wanted to talk about that,
1: but he has no
0: relation to Bucky O'Hare. Well, Bucky What's O'Hare, there?
1: Bucky O'Hare was an independent comic, so right.
0: rocket Raccoon's girlfriend is Lila, which is a reference to Lil from Rocky Raccoon's girlfriend from the song. She's being held captive by Blackjack O'Hare, which I believe is a reference to Larry Hama's character Bucky O'Hare, but. Hama had created O'Hare in the late 70s, and he didn't appear in a comic until two years after the Hulk comic Magazine, where Rocket right. first appeared. So it's all very, his.
1: I don't know. It's a mystery. His first appearance was in a comic called Echo of Future Past, number one from May 1984. Okay, there you go. That's, that's Bucky O'Hare. This whole
0: thing reads like the unfunniest Monty Python sketch ever. Like they went out of their way to try and make this clever, funny, punchy script, and it just sucks. It is the definition of unfunny. Magnola's art is excellent, but the story is so bad. I am glad Rocket ended up the character he is today, but this was just beyond wacky. I don't get it. I don't know what they're going for. Keith Giffen is a funny guy, so I have to blame Bill Mantlow on this one, <laughs> giving it a skim. It because the uh, art is so damn good.
1: I mean, I I think that Keith Giffen is the sort of guy that will write an absurd comic and call it humor, whether the humor hits or not. Fair now, enough. Now Giffen did not script this. Mantlows no. wrote this. Right. Um, but Giffen yeah, is I, like they gave like I, breakdowns I think they're or something credited like as the co-story. Like they came up with a story. Okay. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's one thing after another that's just completely ridiculous. Like when the Keystone Cops showed up, I was like, what? Yeah, like Like, they're literal, they're literal Keystone Cops, like from Earth, from Earth pop culture. And it doesn't make any sense.
0: Well, but I think they're also the toys, the robots, because there's like a Napoleon. Robot. Yeah, but again, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why? I don't know. There's also killer clown robots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs)
1: Like, what Um, are we doing? (laughs) The the art. The art is beautiful. It's so gorgeous. Um, I mentioned to Matt earlier when we were texting about this, uh, that I don't remember. I didn't remember anything about the comic. Um, I don't think I had the first issue. I think maybe I had issue number two or whatever. And all I remember about it is this gorgeous panel where the walrus character leans his head back and shoots these devastating laser beams from his metal tusks. Well, he has prosthetic tusks that he can switch out. And
0: and the like he's got one that has a wrench on it and he's like working on
1: the ship, which is dumb. It's Uh, just stupid. (laughs) But I mean, this this book is so pretty. That it's almost it almost like the script almost does Mike McNola a disservice.
0: Yeah, it really it's
1: a it's like a damn shame, <laughs> right? What it is. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give it a skim it as well. If not for just the art, but again, you know, as a as a as a cultural touchstone for a character that's become so beloved. Yes, it's like if you want to know where Rocket Raccoon came from, count your lucky stars.
0: <laughs> I wish we had a rating where we could say look at it but don't read it. You know, <laughs> you know I mean, like actually, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a look at it. <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's a skimmit. I think skimmit counts that, counts I for that. Uh,
1: I'll, like, unfortunately, Matt and I read it. So.
0: No, see, but like a skimmit to me almost means like, yeah, the script's all right. You know, no, it's not. No, no. See, The to only me, reason it's a skimmit is because the art is so exceptional.
1: <laughs> to me, a skimmit means you're standing, you're standing at the rack at Legend Comics and Coffee and you're flipping through it, trying to decide, trying to decide whether or not you should buy it. Fair Um enough. But yeah, no, it's not good. It's not good. No. <laughs> Speaking In, of not good, Joe Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um,
0: oh, I man. Can say, I, this, this one screamed right past not good.
1: <laughs> I was way more generous uh, than, than I remember. <laughs> uh, I, my next review is of Angel and the Ape, number one from 1991 DC Comics. After nearly 25 years, someone at D.C. decided that the time was right for a revival of Angel and the Ape, a comic book that originated in the late 60s. (laughs) The story is of a sexy private detective and her best friend, a talking gorilla. Uh, In fact, the series was revived again at Vertigo a decade later, again, for inexplicable reasons. But as far as I could tell, sticking with the theme of this episode, this volume by writer artist Phil Foglio is the only one where Sam Simeon, the gorilla in question, actually talks out loud. Foglio is best known as the creator of the long running steampunk indie comic Girl Genius. Oh, really? Yeah. You remember that shit? Oh, no shit. Uh, no offense to any girl genius fans out there. <laughs> the cover paints a very sinister picture with Sam looking more like a demonic creature than a yeah. gorilla. Uh, but the interior art doesn't do him too many favors. No,
0: I had no idea what I was getting into. I looked at the cover and I was like, oh, this could be. And then I immediately opened it and went,
1: wait a minute. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I would not go so far as to say that the art is bad. But Sam Your Art is bad. Sam definitely looks more like a caveman than an actual gorilla. Yeah, I'll say it. The art is bad. The human characters, especially the women are drawn with an uncomfortable sexiness that I believe Matt Baum would describe as sexy baby style. Yeah, definitely. Like I'm sort of a naughty little kid with gigantic boobs and a huge round butt. <laughs> oh my God. There's, what are we doing? There's even a pinup at the very end where Angel, it's Angel and Sam in the jungle or whatever, and she's wearing like a cavewoman outfit that is almost embarrassingly skimpy.
0: Yeah, like Vampirella
1: would be embarrassing. For a mainstream DC comic from 1991. You can definitely see how Foglio would go on to have a career drawing porno comics, which is also true. We got a stack, we got a whole short box of Phil Foglio comics, porno comics in at krypton comics one time and they sat in the back room waiting for somebody to have the guts to put them on eBay because we were not going to sell them in the store. The dude certainly doesn't understand how a dress works. I mean,
0: or, because it's like he's got Angel in a dress, but every time she's like doing something, both of her legs are coming out of the sides of the dress. Like she's wearing like a Roman gladiatorial. <laughs> like well, you know, it's got something. a big, like, it's a big,
1: it's a dress with a big slit up what the, the, the middle hell? or whatever. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, look, we
0: got to be able to see her butt when she's standing around,
1: I guess. I'm not defending it. I do have to give the script credit for taking it easy on the animal puns which I did appreciate. Despite the odd character design, I did think that the art was pretty well drawn. The self-referential script gives the impression that the duo has been solving cases for quite a while, which is true because their last comic book was in the late 60s. I wrote here that I had fun reading this, but I'm looking back at it and I'm not sure I did.
0: <laughs> this is garbage.
1: I'm revisiting my, my, my feelings and I'm not sure that I had any fun reading it. I, th- I thought maybe like the novelty of the concept won me over a little bit, but I'm going to give Angel and the Ape number one, i leave it. There's a part that you are missing and I can't believe oh, you're not bringing is it up. It, is it the racist poster?
0: No, there, that's another thing. There's definitely a racist poster, but you're forgetting about the part where Angel's sister wants to fuck the gorilla. She doesn't want to fuck the gorilla. She, she wants, wants to date the gorilla. She wants the gorilla to be her boyfriend,
1: Joe. That is yeah. bestiality. <laughs> look, there's a there's a very clear line in the script where Angel is talking to her sister, which retroactively is Dumb Bunny from the Inferior Five, yeah. another comic book from the 60s. She wants to date the gorilla. She wants to date the gorilla. Yes. Dumb Bunny, uh, Athena is her name. Uh, she comes to Angel and she's like, look. Sam is my friend. I wanted to ask your opinion. I want to ask him to be my boyfriend. And Angel, to her credit, is like, you cannot date Sam. He is a gorilla. Yeah, no shit.
0: <laughs> like, look, Fuglio doesn't draw backgrounds, is more concerned to drawing sexy legs, big butts, and big boobs than he is with faces because his facial work is terrible. The gorilla fundamentally does not look like a gorilla. No, he it, does not. He looks like a caveman. It, seriously like a Neanderthal or something that and the script is not funny at all this is garbage I, no, I can't this is a leave it
1: on no, every level there's, there's one thing that I did not write down in my review that I want to bring up this comic book came out in 1991 on the wall in Sam and Angel's office or Angel's apartment it doesn't matter there is a poster for something called the Samurai uh, no the Kabuki Odd Couple okay it's a joke about the odd couple, Felix and Oscar, you know, you, right, you know who right. it is. The quote unquote joke is that the caption for the poster takes the L in Felix and replaces it with an R. Felix, you bring great dishonor on this house. Yeah, well, I wasn't going to go into it, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, this is 1991 and nobody at DC went, hold on. We okay, can't- Joe. Nope.
0: I'm sorry you don't think Asian people can be funny, but personally I think they're <laughs> hilarious.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 I was so, so stunned to see that uh, in this comic book. But yeah, no, it's bad. It's bad. I
0: was too busy looking at Angel taking her top off in that panel. So, you know, is what it is. We know where <laughs> your head's at. <laughs> Let's move on to something a little more review proof. I'm talking about Boris the Bear, number one from Dark Horse 1986. This is technically the Boris the Bear color special at dark horse this was the second title published by dark horse at the time very early yeah yeah it's obviously panning the popularity of teenage mutant ninja turtles and not doing much else boris picks up a comic book He's disgusted by the furry animal stuff that he reads for the same reasons that we are angry. About I hear Lawrence's you, Boris. <laughs> he says, it's not funny. This is stupid. I don't know what they're going for. And he immediately decides, I'm going to go down into the basement, into my owner's house, go into a closet that says, do not enter, where he finds a knife and an Uzi. Yeah. <laughs> and then he sets out to murder talking animals. Yusagi Yojimbo shows up. Boris murders him. Cerebus shows up. Boris murders the hell out of him. There's a ton of fourth wall. I think
1: I think nearly every character we talked about in this week's episode appears in this comic.
0: Right, and it's and and it is funny because I will say that uh, what's his name? I'm drawing. Let me find his name. Mike Richardson, the writer. James Dan Smith, the artist, is great and does a really good job. Like this is a legit good looking funny animal comic and when he introduces these other like characters that are the Teenage I Mutant Ninja Turtles are here Droopy Dog is here and stuff he does a fantastic job aping the style of each artist as well like when yeah. Usagi showed up I thought Sakai was drawing him Cerebus who is going by Slobberus and this because they could <laughs> apparently use their images but I can't believe they didn't get in trouble for using these characters. How do they not
1: get just their ass? It's, fu- it's funny. It's funny because him. later on in the, uh later on in the issue, it's very apparent that Spider-Ham gets murdered. Yeah. But he's only in silhouette. Right. So, so I wonder like, if maybe like he talked to these guys and like, like hey, they'll I, I want to do with this. Woody Woodpecker.
0: They'll mess with the care bears, but they're not gonna touch Spider-Ham. And <laughs> Captain Carrot isn't here. Yeah. Like they, yeah. they, later on, he has like a big party with free beer and invites all the talking animals, and they all come, of course. And he murders them, murders the hell out of all of them because he's sick of it and he's done. <laughs> yeah, they. I just can't believe how many violated copyrights are in this book. I have no idea how they got away with it, but it really is legit funny. Mike Richardson writes it. His script is very violent, very black comedy. But they do like these different things where like. Ambush Bug is here for some reason, who's not yeah. really a, a, a parody of ambush animal. bug. Right. I don't really get it. Complete, but he's like, I'm just walking along. No way that bear is gonna find me in the next two panels, and then like he's right, right
1: there in the next panel. So <laughs> like ambush, ambush bug later later on after his initial appearances, uh, when he got his own minis by Keith Giffen and uh, right. uh, uh, Robert Lauren Fleming, he adopts a toy doll. Yeah, called, like Miracle
0: Toy or something. It's or? called
1: Cheeks the Toy Wonder.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> and, and Cheeks the Toy Wonder appears in this comic under a different name and totally gets destroyed. <laughs> yeah, so like these guys had to be friends with a bunch of these people. Oh, yeah, for
0: sure. There's no question. Otherwise, yeah, they would sure. have just gotten sued. I think they probably pushed the limit a little bit with, you know, like the, the Care Bears showing up and whatnot. But
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. this was legit funny. It was very well drawn and it gets a huge buy it. Uh, So you mentioned uh, you wrote in the script, but did not mention it out loud. There is an appearance when you talked about the um, each character being drawn in the style of their creators, like Usagi or the turtles. Mm -hmm. uh, There are these mice police officers that show up. And it is drawn in a completely different style than like the rest Miami of the book. Miami Mice or something? It is called Miami Mice. It's from an independent comic called Miami Mice from 1986. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, and yeah, it's like, it's it's so fun the way he did all that. So, of course, I've, I've, I've known about Boris the Bear forever. I, I remember, like, I, I can't tell you the number of times that I've probably bagged this issue and put it out in the back issues or whatever. <laughs> I've never once actually looked inside of it. And I was surprised by the bloodbath <laughs> that I found. Oh, yeah. Um, this is fun. It's fun, tongue-in-cheek, uh, and it, it totally, like, encapsulated the majority of the things I felt reading this week's comics. <laughs> I'm giving it a buy-it as well. Last one, Joe. Last one. We did it. Yes. Ending on a fun note, my last review is of Sam and Max Freelance Police Special, This is also from fish Rap productions, 1997. I'm sorry. 1987. My mistake. Sam and max is one of the iconic indie properties of the late eighties kept relevant by a passionate fan base, uh, a short lived Fox cartoon. I think it was on Fox, uh, and a point and click adventure game series, which is where I first encountered them. I first, uh, learned about Sam and Max from the Telltale game series, but I quickly came to love their madcap adventures. This special is their first comic book appearance as the freelance police run afoul of a ridiculous cult and its followers and introduce the world to the wonder that is Fizzball. Steve Purcell's art is absolutely beautiful. His cartoony style creates a world full of bizarre characters And it couples with his script to create an almost effortlessly funny, self-referential story full of jokes and sight gags. Naturally, the Doomsday Cult story wraps up with a mid-air hijacking that ends with a hilariously deadly sequence right out of three of the first four Alien movies. (laughs) Sam and Max Freelance Police is a complete delight to read, and it really should be held up. With the same regard as other indie comics of the era, I'm giving this a huge buy it. Same like, here. It's got a cult following, but I don't feel like Salmon and Max is nearly as popular as it should be. Yeah, I feel like Salmon and Max had a
0: minute there when it got pretty big and like trades were selling pretty well and it did pretty well in the book market and stuff like that and was being introduced to like young readers in schools and stuff because it is very smart. It is, it's cheeky,
1: but it's not nasty in any way. Like it's not, no, I mean, it's like, it's sort of like, it's a, it's a slightly more tame version of milk and cheese, right? Yeah, exactly. Milk and cheese and- is absurdly violent and graphic. Sam right. and Max is absurdly violent and cartoony.
0: Right. And it's a joy to read. It really is. It's, this is what you can do with funny animal comics and do it right. And it was nice to like read this last and wash my mouth out from the other fucking garbage <laughs> it's like, we were at. It's like,
1: <laughs> Please, Steve Purcell, scrub out the inside God, of my brain. This <laughs> theme made me mad. It's your <laughs> fault. I, I, this is I, your know, I fault. I picked it.
0: <laughs> but yeah, huge buy it for me, too. <laughs> zip, 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 zip. That does it for reviews this weekend. <laughs> is the sound of a fighter jet strafing a group of cat infantry from the pages of Montefi Kobayashi's Cat Shit One. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Stately Lord Fungus via Twitter. I gave it a buy called. It was good. Such a good title. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts, send an email to at nerdgmail.com, or better yet, you can call us at 402-819-4894, make the noise, tell us where it comes from, and we'll play it on the show so everybody can know how big of a nerd you actually are.
1: Now that we've ground all the funny animals into mincemeat, for the Moloids, it's time to retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. To Even sh- they
0: won't touch this angel in the ape crap. Jesus.
1: <laughs> We're going to shake the magic eight ball of Marduk and reveal the theme for next week's reviews. Now, look, I know that we talked about new comics coming back next week. We looked at the list. It's very small. Yeah, there's like nothing. Even with Marvel coming back, it's very very small. So we're probably yeah. going to stick with the old reviews for a couple more weeks at least until things start to ramp back up and then we'll be back to business as usual. But Shake 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 It looks like next week we'll be reviewing Famous Deaths. Yeah, death. I love it. I'm going to be fun. I am excited. Stay tuned to our Facebook and Twitter to see which issues we'll be reading and you can play along at home. Nothing
0: better than to wash this crap out of your head with some
1: superhero death. <laughs> I might, I might just read Boris the Bear number one again yeah, because it's full of death <laughs> to make myself feel better. Now, let's peer into the cursed mirror of Kathan and see what it picks for the completely random trade of the week. Matt, what do you see? Look, it looks like this
0: week it is the Wii 3 trade paperback, the new edition from DC. It's written by Grant Morrison with art by Frank Wyattly. It is 144 pages. its 14.95. And if you want to read a comic book that I 100% guarantee will make you cry, this is it. This is furry animal comics on a whole different level. Here is your solicit. Relive the harrowing journey of three house pets weaponized by the government for lethal combat as they search for home and fend off the shadowy agency that created them. This new trade paperback collects the original three-issue miniseries plus the new pages created for the deluxe edition hardcover. This is one of my favorite Grant Morrison stories. Yes, I agree. Seriously, there is a panel in this book I cannot look at. I can't. I just start
1: crying every yeah, goddamn yeah, time. I mean, I know what it is, and <laughs> I don't want to even talk about it. Ugh, it's uh, so amazing. You can buy this from your local comic shop. Fun fact, I considered We Three for this week, but it is not anthropomorphic. No. Well... They, no, no. Anthropo- anthropomorphic means... Yeah. Imbu- okay. Imbuing human characteristics onto non-human things. Fair enough.
0: They wear a collar that helps them talk.
1: They wear robot robot suits yeah. that approximate talking. Right. They're they're just regular pets. Yeah. Um. So I disqualified it. But it's a phenomenal read. It's My such God. a heart. It's such a heart puller. Will level you and Tier Frank jerker? Quietly's.
0: A heart puller. What is that? It's a real heart puller. I caught you pulling your heart last night. It was yeah, disgusting. Just, you, you grab your... the
1: door! You, Jesus! You, look, if you're going to grab your stave or pull on your heart, you got to put a sock on the door.
0: Kids, Stargirl made her small screen debut on the DC Universe app and the CW just this last week, so it's time to play Nerd TV! Joe Patrick... We all know how much you were going to love this before it even came out. But yeah. how much did you actually love it, I guess, is what we need to know. <laughs> I,
1: I loved it a lot, actually, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, just to give a little bit of background, Stargirl was a character created by Jeff Johns. It was one of his earliest works for DC Comics.
0: And his name uh, is boom, front and center. On he that, is the
1: showrunner. He wrote yeah. the first episode. Uh, So originally she was the star spangled kid and she was the stepdaughter of Stripesy the sidekick to the original star spangled kid, uh, which she discovers uh, and then like kind of uses to, you know, manipulate him and becomes a superhero of her own. And it's, it's not until quite some time later that she that she is given the cosmic staff uh, by Jack Knight when he retires. They kind of rewrote things here a bit. And then become Stargirl. Know. Right. They do. Yeah. Um, in this comic, uh, the setup is fairly similar. Uh, it, uh, other than, you know, other than the stuff with the JSA, which is a little different. Uh, the, 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 the show opens with the death of the JSA 10 years ago. Uh, at the hands of the Injustice Society of America And uh, I demand
0: a Luke Wilson supercut of him saying everyone's names Because he literally Storm spends the man. first 10 minutes of the mo- of the show going
1: <laughs> Our man, Dr. Midnight Our man It's true, he does Owl man <laughs> It's <laughs> like, true, he does Come on, dude, <laughs> Like we get it <laughs> uh, it's true, but like the first, the first word of the first episode cat. is Starman. <laughs> uh, so the the Injustice Society has murdered the JSA as far as we know, and in his dying breath, Joel McHale as Starman, and I will never not get over Joel McHale <laughs> as <Yeah>. Starman. <laughs>
0: Uh, who, is, who is like basically here? He's like a Captain America type figure. He's wearing like red, white, and blue, with yes, stars on. Uh, so in the
1: com- in the comics, in the comics, uh, jo- uh Joel McHale's character Sylvester Pemberton, right, was the original Star Spangled Kid. He became a character named Skyman, wearing the exact same costume. Like oh, it's yeah. comics
0: accurate, no question.
1: Um. But he is killed in the 80s by uh, Solomon Grundy. Yeah, I don't know. You'd have to tell me that he's killed. He's killed by Solomon Grundy in the 80s.
0: In this, it was very much modernized. Like the JSA were around recently. Ten years ago, it says. And did it seem like I watched it with Casey and at first I didn't really think about it until she brought it up. But she was like. Do these guys seem like they should be out of like World War Two or something? And I was yeah, like, yeah, 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 kind of. And I don't understand totally the idea of making them so much more modern because they are kind of silly. And all they really had to do was set this thing in World War Two and say something happened to you know Luke Wilson's character where he doesn't age
1: like other people uh, or something. Well- <laughs> I mean know, but and, can't, and can't, problem
0: solved because <laughs> you know, it's kind of silly, right? but you Otherwise. agree.
1: You agree that that's kind of a lot of hoops to jump through, right? Not to really. Like,
0: I don't think so. Compared yeah, uh, to the hoops yes. that they have us jump through in this show already, because they don't know they went, though. They went they, totally nuts in this
1: like they were like they may have looked silly, but the like introducing the idea that they were from the 40s, but they got sucked into a timeless dimension where they fought. As guardian demons for fifty years?
0: No, I'm not saying they did do anything like, like that. I'm that's, saying they could have set that's this the story
1: fir- of the JSA.
0: <laughs> you could have set this first scene, just say, hey, this happened way, way back, like right after World War II or something. And I I, I think that- just doesn't age like other people because some happened to him. He got I, hit with the cosmic staff. There I think go. I think adding in that additional thing might have been just a little bit too far to go. See, I um, think not adding it in like made it kind of like, oh yeah, that is kind of weird. But
1: it sounds like to me that your the, the your only complaint is the costume designs.
0: No, that's not my only complaint. I I like when they were showing them, I was like, fuck yeah, this rules. It's <laughs> like I love it. Sure, wildcat hits like, the ground. And I was and I did the same thing, Luke Wilson. I went, wildcat. Yeah, Luke Wilson goes. yeah like we both did the same thing I just at first when we were watching it I started thinking and I'm like this is the whitest show I've ever seen it like takes place in LA at first Breck Basinger who is playing Courtney Whitmore is the whitest girl on the planet let's just say it she she looks like a cartoon character. She's so pretty and well, white and blonde haired. So and blue that eyed. was something I wanted to talk about. That was something I wanted to talk about during the setup. Uh, no, we'll, hold on one second. Let me, let me finish this thought because I, I was at first I was like, Oh my God, I cannot believe how white everybody is. And the bad guys seem to be the minorities. And it's not until it's not the bad guys they, are all white. No, there's an Asian one. There's an Indian one. I mean, like only one of the only the icicle is like icicle and the other mind miss What's his name? Mind- icicle
1: brainwave. I mean, Solomon Grundy, I guess
0: you can't count. But
1: the wizard, yeah. they were all
0: white. Oh, well, the two women weren't definitely. And they were the only two minorities. If you're talking about the point. gym
1: teacher, we do not know who she is yet. <laughs> oh, she's bad. Give me a break. We'll, <laughs> we'll get there. You okay, listen, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're jumping around but too much.
0: It, it is not until they move to the melting pot of... Blue Valley, Nebraska, home of Wally West, (laughs) birthplace (laughs) of Wally West. Yes, thank you. It's supposed to be a small town and they walk into the high school and it's like more urban than most urban (laughs) like high schools. And there's like Indian gym teacher and there's like Pashtun, you know, like uh, fucking professors and shit and like black kids all over the hallway. I was like, so L.A. was the white.
1: The oh only people God. we see in L.A. are the
0: supervillains.
1: <laughs> right? But I mean, like we saw her and her family getting ready to move and stuff like, like there that. There are white people in L.A., Matt. I'm sorry I'm to be the one to aren't. have to tell you this. Um,
0: I thought Amy Smart was great. I will forever have yes. a crush on Amy Smart. And I love, Amy I'd love Smart. to see her working here. I, I thought Luke Wilson... It's weird who, to me to see Amy Smart as,
1: the, as a mom character. Right,
0: totally. Yeah. And Luke Wilson is definitely a git, but you can tell he's like, nah, I'm just gonna do my Luke Wilson thing. You know? All, <laughs> he
1: always does his Luke
0: Wilson. Yeah. I love and, Luke Wilson. I love he him. works fine. His And I think, dialogue I think he's great. Is, his dialogue comes off a little cheesy. I thought this was extreme cheese. Right? I'm not gonna say I didn't like it, but sure. oh my God, it was so cheese ball <laughs> I I mean, mean, the whole, it's like i'm a gymnast so when i get the staff and be like whoa what are you doing staff oh
1: wait a minute you want me to flip around on you <laughs> what sure <laughs> of course <laughs> <laughs> she's testing the waters now listen yeah. we can't we don't want to get into too many spoilers here no 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 but uh so Something that I wanted to say during the setup, you, like you mentioned, uh, you know, the, her ethnicity and, and, and everything like that and how she's this blonde haired, blue eyed, like whatever. Uh, star, uh, star girl, Courtney Whitmore, is based on Jeff Johns's sister who died in a plane crash. Right. And so it's very like she is definitely based off of a real person. Sure. Uh, which is why, you know, they didn't really play around with with. Ethnicities or anything,
2: and I'm,
0: I'm I i do not have a problem with that. I'm just saying, like the actress herself. I don't think that any young teenage girl is going to look at her and go, "I can relate to her." She is looks like she was grown in a tube and created I by mean, cartoon
1: well, you know, like, a- animators. The, She's so fucking white and cute. Even <laughs> the know? even the quote unquote nerdy kids were were beautiful. So I don't know what you're yeah no I mean that, well, a CW show, They so. are CW cute.
0: Yes, they're CW. So everybody, you like, you want to fuck everybody on the show, even Michael the well, little. kid. I mean, not the minorities. <laughs> No, no, they're bad.
1: <laughs> I, sorry. not Sorry. I didn't mean minorities. I meant, um, uh, minors. I meant the minors. <laughs> I don't want to fuck any of the minors.
0: No, uh, like I, like this was cute and I will give it that it had a better setup than the last couple of CW shows I've seen. It's still very much following the DCCW formula. No question. They did surprise me in the end. Where I'd like, I did not see that shit coming. (laughs) Oh, with the, uh, yeah. With the robot. I'll cut that. Right, right. But yeah, like. I mean, he was in the promos and stuff, but. Oh, was he? I see. I didn't see any of the promos. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't know. So when that happened, I was just like, are you
1: fucking kidding me? (laughs) I mean, have you never, you know about Stripe, right? You know that he is the, he, he. Yeah. I'm well aware. I just didn't know they were going to do it on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, that's... You tell see, me Luke... You, like, you tell me that Luke Wilson's going to show up in the stripe costume wearing it like a giant robot. Like, I would have told you you're out of your goddamn mind. There's no way they'll do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so maybe so, it's not
0: a spoiler since it's in the promos. I'll leave It's that in, in the promos, yes. Okay.
1: Um, so one of the things that I liked best about this first episode is how much it wears its love of DC comics on its sleeve. It does not shy away from It does not shy away from anything. Like you get Dr. Midnight in full, like comic, comic, accurate Dr. Midnight costume for five seconds running around that in like 2005. Sure. (laughs) 10 years ago. Yeah. Really? Uh, So, and like you get, there's a, there is a villain waving a magic wand with a fancy mustache and a top and a top hat. Oh yeah. It's all there. So yeah, it's 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 not shying away from the sillier elements of the golden age. Yeah, you want to say that maybe it doesn't make as much sense for them to be part of the present day. I kind of get it, but on the other hand, eh, whatever. It,
0: no, and I'm not saying that's a deal breaker or anything. It just seems like it would have been so easy to just like write that part and be like, Oh, and then fucking stripes. you got kicked through a time warp or whatever. Well, maybe <laughs> you
1: know? I mean, maybe we'll get that. Maybe we'll get that part of it. Uh, something else that I like, this might uh, be, a, cause a, the
0: villains are still having aged either and they're still around. And they said this was 10 years ago. So no, they're not going to do maybe that. Maybe they all got sucked <laughs> into a time warp. <laughs> okay. Fair enough.
1: So, uh, one of the things that I was excited about, uh, and this is a very minor piece of dialogue is when, uh, Pat, uh, Luke Wilson is talking about the history of the JSA and of Starman to Courtney. Mm-hmm. He talks about how Sylvester was originally the Star Spangled Kid. He fought crime and and Pat helped him out. And then, was this in the basement
0: that had more spider webs than like the tombs on Indiana Jones and the <laughs> Temple of Doom? <laughs> yeah, because yes, the, it was. The
1: spider webs were shocking. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they just nice moved, they just moved in. They just moved in. <laughs> oh, uh, Jesus! But then, like he was telling the history, it's like he was he was the Star Spangled Kid. I helped him out. I I worked for his family. Yada yada yada. And then sometime later, he got the cosmic staff. Right. Which got me very excited about the prospect that they might touch on some of the actual history of the cosmic staff, uh, like the Knight family. I'm not saying they have to do James Robinson's Starman.
0: I bet they don't,
1: but I'm like, he doesn't just always have it. He got it from somewhere. Right. And I think that that's going to be part of the story, especially maybe considering
0: McHale. maybe McHale.
1: No, not Mikhail shut up.
0: Up, he says a gay disco alien gave it to me. See, <laughs> <laughs> so He had a really bad costume with like a star cutout thing. But yeah, like, all you right, know, all it right, it was the seventies. <laughs> all right, I'll grant you that. I'll, I'll,
1: if 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 he says a gay disco alien gave it to me, then, <laughs> yeah. then fine. But yeah, no, we don't know where the we we don't know where the staff came from, and I'm excited about the idea that we might learn more about it, especially considering, uh. Maybe I'm thinking
0: that just because they called it the cosmic staff. Yes, you are. But they call it the cosmic staff, which doesn't mean it's from Lubbock, Texas.
1: Well, and all. Wh- <laughs> you know? I mean, they called it the cosmic staff in the comics. It was invented it's, by a man. It's the cosmic staff from Saskatchewan. <laughs> it's the cosmic staff from Opal City, you ignoramus. Uh, but yeah, it, I really loved this. Yes, it, it's it's very it, it's it's. Cheesy, if you want to call it that, but oh yeah, I'm, I'm not it saying was, it's bad. I'm not saying I'm no, not going to no, watch no, more. No, no, no. Uh, I, I, I thought I, it was uh, very well done. I, I thought that the the uh, the cosmic effects were the the superpower effects were very cool. Definitely,
0: they like they've got that down. I I think they they're making enough money now that they can have good effects and it, and things are much better. Well, and, and it show
1: like it shows that they are working with a DC universe budget, yeah, and not definitely. a CW budget. Definitely. Uh, And like, as far
0: as like the last, like I said, the last few shows like Batwoman being the most recent one, I think this is a much better start to a (laughs) DCCW show than Batwoman.
1: So um, just for comparison, Legends of Tomorrow, which I love, there was an episode of Legends of Tomorrow after Stargirl re-aired last night. uh, And that show features a character that can turn into organic steel Right. A character with a very powerful flamethrower gun, a character that can control the weather, <laughs> and they spend so much time not. Using the characters' powers because they don't have the money for it. Yeah, <laughs> and when they do, doesn't look great. <laughs> Meanwhile, Star Girl blows the door down with like cosmic ray gun effects, a giant
0: <laughs> CGI monster. You gotta get them in there, you know. Like you gotta yeah. get the kids in the theater, and this is how you do it. It's like the opening of Thundercats. They spend all their money on that, yeah, and right. then the cartoon looks like shit. You well, know? and and also we'll see, what is, know, we'll see what episodes two, three, and four look like.
1: <laughs> this is not made for the CW. It's made for dc universe and their budget right. is higher and it's a much shorter season 10 episodes yeah so you know it's going to be a more concise story and i i just thought they really nailed it they really nailed the tone of the character jeff johns clearly loves this character you can tell he still loves the jsa
0: yeah and, and I'm, I'm really i
1: don't think breck Basinger is bad by any means i think she's
0: She looks like a cubie doll. Yes, it's true. Like my God, (laughs) she looks like she was grown in a tube to be professionally cute.
1: (laughs) You're just mad that
0: you're not that cute. Yeah, I'm giving this a watch. It. Yeah, it's a watch for me too. I mean, it's super cheeseball, but it is definitely again better than the last few CW shows that I have seen.
1: It's cheeseball in a fun way. Wildcat, Doctor Midnight, Power Man.
0: Starman.
1: I told you to wait in the car! Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that
0: is it for THN 574. And next week, things are going to get real goddamn morbid on the show when we talk about a pile of dead heroes. Joe Patrick, until then, give these nerds
1: a new question of the week. <clears throat> this week's question, pardon me. This week's question was submitted by Brian Domingos via the THN Forums. QOTW Self-Quarantine Edition. You have access to any comic book published in any language. What is in your lockdown reading pile? An old favorite? Something you always wanted to catch up on? The sky's the limit. All right. Come for comics. The only limit, dot, 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 is your imagination. (laughs) <laughs> Butterfly in the sky uh, You may have noticed That we have been Posting other questions On our Facebook And Twitter as well So call 402-819-4894 Or shoot an mp3 To nerd At gmail.com With your answers We will make you Internet famous Remember Keep it a tight Two and a half minutes And share the air nerds If you're new to the show And you'd rather get A
0: Captain Carrot Full back tattoo Than listen to Another minute uh, I assure you no. It's only because you just haven't heard enough. No. The good news is... I won't, can, I can't. <laughs> you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive. com hosting that many episodes. It ain't cheap, kids. So we want
1: to thank donors like Benjamin Holmes. He's a new guy, right? I know he's been with us for a while.
0: Oh, nice. Thanks, Thanks Benjamin. Benjamin. We appreciate it.
1: Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to artist Tess Fowler, who has had to take a hiatus from comic book work while she battles breast cancer. A friend of Fowler's has set up a GoFundMe page to help pay for bills and for her cancer treatments. I will make sure to put that link in the show notes for this episode. If you can donate and help out, yeah, where do you test? Keep fighting. Sister. She's a badass,
0: and she's been really cool about the whole thing, and very upfront about it too. So
1: yeah, it, like if you follow her on Instagram, like she is very open about what she's been going through, and how it's like affected her body and yeah. her work. It's, it's really something, and she's she's a real champ. Until
0: next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just make sure you fail out of college and have no choice but to become a comic creator and work in an industry with absolutely no retirement and no health care whatsoever. This is The Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. It really went dark there at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Making a point, goddammit.